Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. One of the first jobs I ever had was when I was in high school, and I worked for a place called Cook Lumber. It actually, at that time, was one of the largest lumber yards in all of uh, uh, Utah, and I mean, literally, we would uh, load up trucks and send building supplies to uh, Idaho and Wyoming, because they were only about 100 miles off, and and, uh, you know, when I got the job, I think I was about 16, 16 and a half. So I was not old enough to drive one of their trucks. And I wasn't, certainly wasn't old enough or trustworthy enough to drive one of the forklifts, which basically meant I was just a grunt. I mean, literally, I was bottom of the barrel. And my job was just to uh, make it so that the forklift operators could be more efficient. You know, I'd have to go run and put something there so they could put a stack of lumber on it and that stuff and load up the truck and band up the truck and all that good stuff. And when I first got the job, I mean, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And my dad gave me some great advice. He said, if you don't know what to do, go ask the boss. And the boss's name was Gunner. Uh, he had a real name, but everyone called him Gunner. I think because when they played basketball, he liked to shoot. So uh, anyway, I'd go into Gunner's office. Well, like I said, this is a big place, big business. And Gunner was always busy. And so a lot of times I, you know, would just have to stand there because he was talking to a driver or a forklift operator or he was on the phone with some contractor whose order we got wrong or something like that. And, you know, all these other guys are standing around waiting to talk to Gunner, and they obviously were much more important than me, you know, because I was just wondering, what stack of wood do you want me to go stack up again, you know? And uh, I never had heard this expression before, and I really didn't know what to uh, make of it. Now, you know, I'm a pastor's kid, and I'm raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, where pretty much all my friends were very clean cut and all that stuff. And uh, let's just say Cook Lumber was kind of an eye-opening experience for me, you know, because it was outdoor work, and these guys uh, didn't look like they uh, were in church too much on Sunday mornings. Good church, bad church, any church, you know. So, But I'm standing there, and this guy goes, good grief. Now, he didn't say good grief. We're just going to pretend that he said good grief. He said something a little bit more spicy. But he said, good grief, gunner. You are slower than the return of Christ. And I'd never heard that expression. And I had two thoughts immediately. I thought, did he just take the Lord's name in vain? And I was kind of doing this intellectual argument. Well, he really didn't take his name in vain, but he did. I mean, didn't sound, you know. And so I'm trying to figure out, was he, did he just swear? And then the second thing I was amazed at is he knows Christ is coming back. Because you know what? In Salt Lake City, Utah, where I grew up, they never talked about Jesus coming back. That just, you know, they're religious people. They're part of a, you know, a cult. But they, you know, they don't talk about Jesus coming back. I thought the only people that knew that Jesus was coming back there in the Salt Lake Valley were the 75 of us that went to Murray Bible Church, you know, where my dad preached. <laughs> and I was just amazed. And so I'm trying to figure out, did this guy just swear... But he knows 
that Jesus is coming back. You know, one of the greatest truths that all of us have, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus is coming back. He he is going to return. Now, we've been walking through the book of Matthew, and we started it way back in September, and you guys are thinking, when is Matthew going to end? And I'll tell you, it's going to end next Sunday, Sunday night. It's going to end because actually, and I'm going to skip ahead here to the slide because uh, someone went to great trouble to make this slide. There it is. Hey, the book of Matthew, this book that we've just walked through, it actually has more prophecy in it than any other book in the New Testament except for the book of Revelation. I've drawn attention to it a few times. But what I want to do next Sunday night is, is, is do like a, a little hour, hour and a half workshop on what Matthew teaches us about the return of Christ and the whole eschatological scheme. I always use those terms just to make you uh, impressed. I hope you're impressed there. But uh, uh, what we're going to do is talk about prophecy next Sunday night because this morning and next week, we're going to talk about Matthew 25, 24 and 25, which are probably some of the most important prophecy passages in all of the Bible. I mean, easily as important as what uh, was revealed in the book of Revelation. Remember, we, we, we kind of skipped ahead in our study of Matthew and, and went right to the Garden of Gethsemane and the crucifixion and then the resurrection so that we could kind of be timely with Easter but we skipped several chapters. What we're doing is we're going back and looking at a couple of those chapters because they're the chapters that really are important to the whole scheme of what Matthew was saying. Now, what is it that Matthew was saying here? Let's let's back up just a minute here. Why did Matthew write this book? I mean, Mark had told the story of Jesus. Luke had told the story of Jesus. Why in the world did Matthew feel compelled to give another telling of Jesus' life? Well, he did it for, I think, two reasons. Uh, well, really, he did it because the Holy Spirit led him to do it, obviously. But, but, you know, practically speaking, two practical reasons. See, he was surrounded by a bunch of Jewish believers, people that had grown up Jew and trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They had come to recognize he really was the Messiah. But here it was 30 years later. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He went back to heaven. And 30 years later, there's still no kingdom. There's still no Messiah. I mean, the Messiah's up there. I thought he was supposed to be down here. What gives? Was Jesus really the Messiah? And so these these Jewish believers were starting to waver in their faith, I think. And so Matthew wrote specifically to tell them Jesus' story addressing the specific needs that a Jewish believer would have. And that is, I'm going to sure up for you the fact that Jesus really is the king, and I'm going to tell you in detail what it was that happened to that kingdom. Remember, Jesus came along, 
John before him, John the Baptist before him, and said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, where's the kingdom? They didn't put him on a throne. They put him on a cross. And then he left and went back to heaven after he rose from the dead. Where's the kingdom? What happened to the kingdom? And Matthew is basically saying, you know what? Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom, and that's when the kingdom will be. That was his whole argument. Jesus is the king. There's still going to be a kingdom. He's coming back. One of the primary things that the Bible teaches us is that Jesus is coming back. Well, where did Jesus teach that? Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. So what we are, just jumping back into this, you got your Bible open to Matthew 24. By this time, Jesus has has thoroughly prepared his disciples that there's going to be a, a gap. They don't, they don't exactly understand it, but hey, the kingdom's getting kicked down the road a little ways. These people are rejecting me. The kingdom is getting kicked down the road. By this time, in Matthew 24, Jesus has officially presented himself as their king. Remember, he did that on Palm Sunday. He rode on the donkey in. All the people came out with their palm branches. And what were they saying? Hosanna! Hosanna, save now. Hosanna means save now. You're the king, you're the king, you're the king. Well, they were just the people. The decision makers, the power brokers, they were sitting in Jerusalem saying, they're in a way in high heaven that that guy is going to get any kind of power. We are not going to do it. So all the religious leaders, all the power brokers saw the triumphal entry of Jesus And even though the crowds wanted him, they said, no way. And so they plotted how to fully eliminate him. What was that way? They finally arrested him and crucified him. They rejected him. Well, Matthew 24, it occurs on Tuesday afternoon. Okay, Jesus comes in on Sunday On Monday, he spends the day at the temple, deep discussions with all the religious leaders and just making it very clear that what he is offering is not what they want. He does that again on Tuesday morning, and then finally they totally lose it. They arrest him on Thursday night, they crucify him on Friday, and that's the end of the story until the resurrection. So this is Tuesday afternoon. Now, you got your Bible open to Matthew 24. What we're going to do is just kind of walk through this thing. But before we do, I I want you to just glance and see what was 23 about. What was Matthew 23 about? Literally, that is where Jesus just kind of unloaded on the Pharisees, the religious leaders. So this is Tuesday morning. He's at the temple, and he, this is that passage where he said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. And just, you know, one thing after another, telling them how absolutely hypocritical and wrong and off base they were. It's like 
Jesus just, just gives it to them. Well, then look at verse 37. Genesis, or not Genesis, Matthew 23, verse 37. Jesus says, he just, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This place that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her. Man, I just want to gather you up like a hen would gather up her little chicks. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. You guys are missing it. The king is here. The kingdom's been offered. And you guys are rejecting it. And then look at verse 39. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you actually do say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at verse 1, Matthew 24. What does Jesus say? Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to him to point out the temple buildings to him. I mean, you know, you can imagine, Jesus has just had this really tense confrontation with the, the religious leaders, and you could probably cut the tension with a knife. And so they're walking out, going out of Jerusalem, leaving the temple grounds, going out of the city, and they're going to go up towards the Mount of Olives, which is this mountain on the eastern side of Jerusalem, this, this slope that you could sit on and look down on the city, really pretty vantage point. And they're just like making conversation. we got to change the subject. Hey, anyone hungry? Let's go get some lunch, you know. You know. But look at what they say. They come up with, they say, well, for one thing you got to say is the architecture is pretty cool. See what he said? They come up and they say, look at the temple building. It's awesome. And look at verse 2. Look what Jesus said. Do you not see all these things? Let me just tell you. Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. I mean, this guy is like next to the temple, which was, you know, Herod considered it one of the magnificent wonders of the world. Of course, he built it, but, you know, it was pretty impressive. Huge. I mean, the thing took over 40 years to build. And Jesus said, this place is going to be rubble. Well, look at verse 3. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives... So they keep walking, probably walked in silence. This, this 7, 10, 12, 15-minute walk up to the Mount of Olives, up to this slope where they could sit down on the grass and look out on the city. And privately, the disciples came to him. Now, Mark tells us specifically that it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So four of them. We're right there with them. You can imagine a, a, a group of, you know, 15, 20 guys are sitting there on the thing, and a few of them are right there next to Jesus. So it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew, according to, Math, to Mark. Matthew just said that uh, the disciples asked him privately. They had this, this little private conversation, and look what they ask. Truly I say to you, or uh, excuse me, uh, 
Verse 3, and as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came up to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? I got two questions. So they're, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. You go to a book and you read about this. Sometimes you'll hear this called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, just get that in your head. You want to impress someone today at lunch and they say, hey, what was the sermon about? Just say, oh, it was about the Olivet Discourse, and then don't say anything else, okay? And just look at them like you know what it's about. They obviously are dumbfounded because no one really calls it that anymore. But, you know, for hundreds of years, this was called the Olivet Discourse. It, it occurred on the Mount of Olives, a discourse the term we don't hardly ever use anymore, but it basically means the discussion or lecture or lesson. This is the lesson that Jesus gave sitting on the Mount of Olives. We call it the Olivet Discourse, and it basically is chapters 24 and 25. And it starts off with some questions. And here's the two questions that the guys ask. When will these things be... And what are the signs of your return that ends this age of rejection? Now, let me just explain that, because sometimes we, we jump right into this and we forget that this is Thursday, Tuesday of the crucifixion week, and we're like kind of dumbfounded. What things was it they were asking? When's this place going to turn into rubble? When is this temple going to be totally destroyed. Now, what's interesting is Matthew doesn't tell us Jesus' answer to that question. You want the answer to that question, you got to go over to Luke, because that didn't really fit into Matthew's thesis. It wasn't that he didn't think it was important. It's just, hey, I'm here to talk about the king and the kingdom and what happened to the kingdom. So Matthew is actually only going to answer the second question they ask. He's only going to take the time to include that answer that Jesus gave. And the question he wasn't asking, they weren't asking, hey, when is the end of time? Sometimes if you just jump right into it, you think that's what they're asking. And he's saying no. He's, they're asking, when will this age of rejection end when are you coming to end this age of rejection and start that kingdom? See, because if you, you think about those last couple verses of 23, it's real obvious. Jesus said, hey, you're not going to see me again until you do say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they basically they're saying, when are you coming back, which will end this time of rejection and presumably start that age of acceptance. See, they're rejecting Jesus. How long are they going to reject him? When will Jesus come again and start it? That's what the question is. is. So look at his answer. It starts in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many are going to come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they'll mislead many. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that's not the end. That's not the end of time, no. That's not the end of this age of rejection, this era of rejection that proceeds when I come back to start the age of acceptance. Here's what's going to happen, verse 7. For nations are going to rise up against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. It's interesting, Jesus is likening this to when a mother goes into labor to have her child. And how does that start? I mean, there's a pain, and then, you know, maybe 30 minutes later there's another pain, and then there's not another pain, and then 24 hours later there's another pain, and then another pain, and another pain, and then 72 hours later there's another pain and a pain, pain. And eventually you get down... And unless they've changed the rules, when they get to five minutes apart, you go to the hospital, okay? See, I've learned a few things through the years. And you go there, and guess what happens? They get more and more intense and more and more painful. And eventually, it happens. The baby comes. And so we look at this, and, you know, we watch Fox, we watch CNN, we watch MSNBC, whichever one we want to watch, and, man, there's rumors of wars, and kingdoms are rising up against kingdoms, and nations against nations, and there's earthquakes. I mean, there's an earthquake almost every day. It's going to get more and more and more intense. But he says, verse 8, But these things are just merely the beginning of birth pangs. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation, and they'll kill you. Now, who's the you? Remember, Matthew is telling this for Jewish believers. I mean, it's almost like he is saying the target is going to be Jewish folks. They're going to deliver you up for tribulation, and they'll kill you. And they'll be hated, and you'll be hated by all nations on account of my name. I mean, anti-Semitism is something that's been going on for a couple thousand years. Why, why would that be? I mean, easily, you know, we always talk about prejudice and racism and all that stuff, but, but honestly, as, as horrible as it is, no one's gotten it more than the Jewish folks over the last 2,000 years. Well, Jesus is predicting it here. It's all going to happen. Verse 10, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness is increased, most people's love is going to grow cold. I mean, it is going to become, you know, you think it's a dog-eat-dog world now. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But look at verse 4. 13, but the one who endures to the end, he's going to be saved. The one who endures to the end of what? To the end of this time of tribulation, this end of this, this, this era of rejection where that is culminating, that is ending with all of these, these horrible things that are happening. Now, if you're, if you're kind of in tune with, with, prophetic scripture and and studied the prophecy and all that stuff, man, the stuff that's just been described here 
is a lot of the same stuff that's been is described in Revelation chapter 6 and 7. All these horrible things happening that are going on there. And what he is saying there is the one who makes it to the end is going to be saved. Saved? What does he mean by that? That's the word sozo. And, you know, whenever we see the word saved, we're like, oh, hallelujah, someone just got the ticket to heaven. No, that's not it at all. In this case, saved is the person who endures all the way to the end, who makes it alive through all these wars and famines and earthquakes and all that stuff. They will get delivered and get to go in to the age of acceptance. Or just to use terminology that the rest of the Bible uses, they're going to get to go. Those people who make it through the tribulation are going to get to go into the millennial kingdom. That time when Jesus really does reign, as the Old Testament prophesied. Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. And so as part of that, the, the, this, this gospel of the kingdom, what would the gospel of the kingdom be? Well, obviously, it, it's that Jesus Christ died for their sins, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sins, but it would also, because this is, is specifically targeted at Jewish people, I think the gospel of the kingdom is, he's the king. You, you fools rejected him 2,000 years ago. Don't do it again. He is coming. And, and you, you go to other places in Scripture, it just makes it really clear that one of the reasons God is allowing all of these times of tribulation to come on, specifically on his people, the Jewish people, is to basically soften them up, get them ready to receive Jesus as king. That's what's going on here. So, they ask a question. What are the signs of your coming that will end this age of rejection? And he says, oh, let me just tell you, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, and tribulations, and earthquakes, and you skip over to Revelation, you find out that Shoot, by then, a third of the world's population is dead by the time you get about three or four years into this thing. I mean, think about it. There's 8 billion people on the face of the earth. That means nearly 3 billion people are gone, dead. We've reduced it down to 5 billion because 3 billion are dead because these things are bad. We always look at, you know, this 24-hour news and we say, man, it is getting so bad. You know, when a thousand people die, quite frankly, not to be cavalier, that's a drop in the bucket compared to what the book of Revelation describes. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Things are going to get so bad as they're waiting for that end. And what he is saying is, the, per, the person that is smart, wise, is going to hear the gospel of the kingdom and they're going to realize, he died for me, he's the king, I need to be trusting in this king who is coming to bring the kingdom. And that message 
Matthew says, is, or Jesus says, is going to go to all the world. So what do you do with that? Notice verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation that was spoken of through the prophet Daniel, that is the time to take cover. Then let those who are in Judea, verse uh, 16, flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetop not go down to get his things out of the house. Man, just get out of Dodge. Let him who is in the field not turn back to go get his coat. Man, woe to those who are with child and to those who have nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. When you see this thing that is called the abomination of desolation, man, get out of town. Now, next Sunday night, I'll explain what that is, but, but here's what I want to do just for time's sake. Skip down to verse 29. So what he has done is he's, he's said, there's going to be these signs that are going to happen that are going to tell you about how how things are just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and then I'm going to come. Look at verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation, in those days, the sun's going to be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Don't know what that is exactly. But then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from all the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. That's what his coming is going to be like. Now, some of you that are really astute say, where was the rapture in that? You know what? Here's the answer. This is Tuesday afternoon. Jesus doesn't introduce the concept of the rapture till Thursday night in John 14. And Paul, the apostle, elaborates on all of that. Where does the rapture occur in this? Somewhere back during the signs. But Matthew doesn't tell us about it. Not because Matthew didn't believe it. Not because Matthew didn't think it's going to happen. That just wasn't his purpose. Matthew was talking to Jewish believers and saying, here's where the kingdom fits in. This is how it's going to happen. Things are going to get horrible And then Jesus is going to come back, and people will accept him, and that's when the kingdom starts. It's just not in Matthew's scheme to tell about the rapture. Not because it it wasn't true. He left that for other people to fill that gap in. Jesus didn't even mention it on the Mount of Olives on Tuesday afternoon. He saved that information for Thursday night, and that's why the Apostle Paul always called it a mystery. I'll try to fill in more of the gaps to that next Tuesday, whatever night it is going to be, you know, next Sunday night. But 
I believe in a rapture. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I'm a pre-mill, pre-trib rapture person because that's what the Apostle Paul was. But, you know, for those of you that uh, question it. But, but here's the deal. What Matthew is doing is he is making it very clear that Jesus is coming back. And his point to those guys was, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared. Now, I'm almost out of time here, but let me just quickly go through. Good preachers, Jesus, Andy Stanley, Richard Hornock, we always ask, so what? And what Jesus did here was he said, okay, here's how you respond. And he told three parables. One about a fig tree, one about the days of Noah, one about a thief in the night. Don't have time to go through them, walk through them. But essentially, every one of them says, be prepared, be vigilant, be watchful, live like it could happen at any time. And some of you that are really connecting the dots said, well, wait a minute, you just talked about how the next thing on, the, on God's agenda is the rapture. You're right. You're right. G- Matthew and Jesus are telling these people, the, the, the generation of the tribulation, they better re- be ready. They better be watchful. They better be mindful because Jesus could come at any moment. Well, those of us that believe in the rapture, If that was true for them, the principle is still the same for us. Those passages, those parables aren't talking to us directly, but they are setting up an example, a a principle for you and for me about how we need to be prepared for Christ's coming. Because, see, even the rapture is presented as that thing that could happen in a twinkling of an eye when you'd never expect it. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. I believe the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ could come at any moment to rapture his church away. Good people, great people, smart people differ. And they say, no, Jesus is just going to come. But here's one of the things that is true. Whether you believe he's just going to come or whether you believe there's a rapture that precedes some of this tribulation or all of this tribulation, the truth of the matter is the Bible is very clear about a concept called imminence. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. So really and truly, no matter what your specific eschatology, no matter what your specific thoughts on the last day here's the truth before this service ends jesus christ could come are you ready before this service could end jesus christ could come and take his people and start his next part of the program are you ready And I'm not just asking, are you saved in the spiritual sense? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior? That's maybe the first question that needs to be asked. I mean, really, honestly, if Jesus Christ came right now, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? 
Have you trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ? If you haven't trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, my friend, there is no time like the present. Because you do not know. The Bible makes it very clear. You do not know whether you're going to get lunch today, to be honest. Yeah, people have been getting lunch for 2,000 years. But remember, Peter said, don't take that lightly. A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are a day as a day. Time is irrelevant. God is, is slow and patient to allow more people to trust Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 3. The question is, if you were to stand before God today, either because you died or because you, Jesus Christ came, where would you be in eternity? What, what is your spiritual status? But that's not just the only question that's worth asking. Because I think, you know, vast majority of us, of us here today would say, well, I've trusted Jesus Christ. Got it done. Got my card. Got my ticket. The question is, Jesus Christ goes on, and in these next several parables that we didn't get the time to look at today, we'll look at some of them next week. It, there, there is a, 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 a measure of responsibility that I have, that you have, that is called to, to be found watchful, waiting, purposefully using my time, our time, to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to prepare for the kingdom of Christ. You know, it, it, it's that whole situation. It's a great illustration. I mean, the parents finally have the kids old enough that they don't have to hire a babysitter. They can just go out to dinner and leave the kids at home. When they come home, will they find the kids in the shape they want them to be in? If they expected the dishes to be done, will the dishes be made? If they expected the house to not be a wreck, what's the condition of the house? If they said, these are the kind of things I'll let you watch on the, on the television, or these are the kind of games I'll let you play on it, will the kids be watching those or something else? Will they be occupying their time with those kind of games or something else? I mean, in a way, we're like children that have been left behind, and Jesus says, I'm coming back. And in the same way that hopefully we, when we were kids, were smart enough to be prepared for our, when our parents came home, are we prepared for Jesus when he comes? Be it in the rapture or if you just think it's the second coming. But the truth of the matter is, he could come at any moment. At any moment, you and I could be in a face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's calling us to account. He didn't tell us that to threaten us. He told us that to inspire us. The time is short. Those people that you work with, who do not know Jesus Christ, those people, when Jesus comes, it'll be a very different experience for them because they haven't trusted Jesus Christ. And part of my responsibility, your responsibility, is to be in relationship with them to help them be prepared. Are you doing that? 
For those of us that have, parent, that are, have kids, those of us that have children, are we doing our part to help them be prepared for the coming? Jesus is going to return. You go to the very end of the Bible, the last couple verses of Revelation. It says, he's coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I pray that today, even though we don't talk about uh, the soon return of Christ, I pray, Father, that it would, uh, I pray, Father, it would hit us today that uh, really at any moment before this prayer is even finished, we could be standing in a face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ. We could be called to account. We would have that opportunity to give to him that gold, silver, and precious stone that we've been accruing. Uh, Or it could be that we just have a fistful of hay. Father, I pray that today we would would recognize because when we watch the news and we see what's going on, it just doesn't take much imagination at all to realize that uh, it's just like what Jesus described 2,000 years ago. There's wars, there's famines, there's all kinds of tragedy going on. And Father, at any moment, uh, you could come. You could send your son. And so, Father, I pray that today you would help us who do have a relationship with Christ, who, who have come to the place in our life where we recognize he was the Messiah. He's the king, and he's coming back to establish his kingdom. I pray, Father, we'd recognize that kingdom could start this afternoon or we could be called to heaven to prepare for this start of that kingdom. And Lord, we, we do not want to be sluggish, slothful children. We want to be ready. And we want to be prepared. I thank you, Father, for the clear teaching of Scripture that uh, uh, weighed out for us the, uh, the, the consequences. And I pray, Father, today we'd be wise and we would take heed. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.